Welcome to the Exchange Church Podcast. Feel free to join us live on Facebook every Sunday at 10 a.m. at facebook.com slash exchange church. The following message is brought to you by Pastor Jonathan Knight. Something that we've been addressing is faithful, and this series has been uh, top-notch. It has been one of the things that has uh, spoken to me quite a bit. It's kind of reminded me of the faithfulness of God and how impactful our faith in God is in the rest of our life, that our belief in God, our trust in God is a pivotal thing in our life, that it can change the way that we see the world around us. It can change the way that we see our friends and our family, and it is so, so important. I am so glad that we started this series. I've been kind of chomping at the bits to be able to speak again, and lo and behold, both the head pastors are out of town today, so ha-ha. But here's some things, uh, some things that I wanted us, some statements that I wanted us to look at. We've all, at some point in our lives, had said these things, uh, and these, here they are. I am so glad that he showed up in my life when he did. We've said that before. I'm not sure I would have made it without her. I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for them. So we've all said these things before. We've all been telling a story, telling a story about somebody, and those are the words that we've said. When I say these And when I was just going over them, you probably had an image of a person in your head or somebody down the line that you know you said that about them or or you know that they are close enough that, yeah, for real, if it hadn't been for Titian, I would not be here, right? If it hadn't been for Patrick, I wouldn't have been here. So all of us have this in our story. I would not be doing what I am today if it hadn't been for my parents, obviously, right? I wouldn't be existent. But on other things, I wouldn't be here at the exchange today if it wasn't for my parents, if it wasn't for how they raised me, if it wasn't for growing up as a PK all my life, you know? And a lot of the times that I grew up, I was not grateful for my parents. I was not grateful for that life. But now looking back, I can be grateful. Now looking back, I see how important their role was in my life, how important some people were that were introduced to me along the way, that those moments were pivotal, important moments in my life. Those moments shaped who I am. Some of us have had mentors speaking into our lives, or maybe you've consciously looked for mentors in your life and found them and put them in, or maybe it was just happenstance that you crossed a path of someone that you looked up to and they started pouring into you. I've known Pastor Jared for over 10 years now. I don't even remember the dates whenever I first met him, but it's been over 10 years now, and he has been a huge part of my life, not just now, but throughout the time that I've known him. We have had moments where we have been down, and he has stepped in and helped us out, or he has been down, and I've been able to pick him up. And, and those, those mentors, those people that speak into our lives, they do something for our faith that maybe we didn't realize. There, there's this guy that I used to know and uh, we used to hang out with. His name was John Mark. And John Mark was a very intelligent man, he, um, but he liked to argue. He liked, he, he liked the art of arguing. So it didn't matter if he agreed with it 
what he was saying. It didn't matter if he was agreeing with what he was saying. He was just saying it to have an argument, to have a discussion like that. And one of those times, uh, when I, it was like the first year of meeting everybody, and one of those times uh, that he was talking with me, we, we got into this discussion of um, predestination versus free will. Okay, I was on the free will side. He was on the predestination side, but he was just, he was just doing it just to do it. But it created this long conversation, and it, it created gaps. It, it, uh, he, he helped point out gaps in my own theology that I was going, huh, what? You know, uh, I never thought about that. And so it actually pushed me in that time. It pushed me to further study what I was believing, researching what I was believing, that maybe I didn't know everything that I believed. Maybe I needed to investigate more. And, and God used John Mark to push me further into that um, by that conversation that in, didn't end very well, but hey, it, it, it ended and it furthered me on. I think uh, all of us can think of those just in the nick of time people. Those people that they weren't around, you were in dire straits, there's nothing that, that you felt like there's no options, that you couldn't do anything, and then all of a sudden, Tim shows up. All of a sudden, these people in the nick of time show up that maybe you've never met before or you just barely knew, but, or you knew them your whole life. But in that moment, they were there. In that moment, they lifted you up. They added something you or uh, we didn't have. They added insight. They may have added encouragement. They may have added a new perspective on your situation that maybe you weren't necessarily in dire straits, but your perspective was what was keeping you there. You know, uh, maybe they gave you hope. They gave you hope out of it. They gave you hope in, in, in your time of need. Maybe sometimes they gave you correction or confrontation, and you didn't like it then. You weren't happy with that. But now you can look back and you can say, man, I needed that. I needed that confrontation. I needed that correction. Uh, your life would be very different if these people hadn't been dropped into it. Real quick, I have a question for you. Does anybody come to mind when I talk about that? Does anybody pop up into your head? Yeah, Little nods will work. Um, uh, have you ever thanked them for that? Have you ever said, hey, thank you so much? Um, do they know the role that they played in your life? Do they know the pivotal thing that maybe them just being nice, them just being themselves helped you? Today, we're in part four of uh, Faithful, and uh, what this uh, sermon is titled, That Person, right? That Person. And uh, the premise behind this whole series, this Faithful series, is that in the first century when Jesus invited people to follow him, it became very evident that his agenda for his followers back then in the first century and followers now in the 21st century, because even though he was talking to them, it can still apply to us, and especially this idea um, of following him, um, that his agenda for his followers is that they would be people of extraordinary faith, that we would be people of extraordinary faith, that everybody that followed him would be, have extraordinary faith. 
Not the kind of faith that you keep in your head. Not the kind of faith that, um, that you keep in the back closet, but the kind of faith that shows up at home, shows up at work, shows up in the community. Faith that works in, in I'm sorry, faith that works itself out because of our internal confidence with God. It wasn't a mistake that I chose Do It Again as our third song. Because what does that song talk about? It talks about God's faithfulness. talks about how good he is, how great he is, how, he, how he's never failed us. Our faith, our confidence in God is what keeps us going in those moments, keeps us going in the moments that we cannot, um, we can't breathe, we, can't, we, don't know, we, we don't know what to do, we don't know uh, how to get out of the situation. Our faith is what keeps us going in, in the direction of Jesus, in, following in Jesus' footsteps. But let's just be honest, our situations can change our faith. Our situations can really knock down our faith. Um, a, a, but the faith that he wants us to have, the, the, uh, a faith that doesn't change, uh, I'm sorry, the faith that we don't want is faith that doesn't change things. We want a faith that, does, that changes our lives, that changes uh, the people around us. Uh, we don't want uh, a faith that doesn't confront things um, or, or doesn't act because is that really faith? Is that really faith? Because James says it in, in, um, in the book of James. Uh, he says he's the, son, he's the son. He's the brother of Jesus. Man, I'm all mixed up today. Um, he's the brother of Jesus, and he tells us that faith without works is dead. Now, what, now, a lot of people get this confused into thinking that it's theologically talking about, okay, well, works will get you into heaven. Faith will get you into heaven. These things are different because Paul says works will not get you into heaven. Faith is what gets you into heaven. And then James says, well, without, without uh, works, faith is dead. Now, is, are they arguing here? Are they, are they disagreeing? Absolutely not. They're not disagreeing because they're talking about two totally different things. Um, one, Paul is saying, hey, your sins are forgiven. You can have faith in that and that your faith is what gets you into heaven or what what what." keeps you in the kingdom of God, uh, keeps you moving forward in the kingdom of God. Um, but the, what James is talking about is life. If you believe in something, but if you, if you are a fan of the Astros, and you're a fan of the Astros, and, and you say that you're a fan of the Astros, but you don't watch any games, you don't wear any gear, you don't go to the games, you don't talk about Astros. You don't know anything about the Astros, really. You just, you're a fan of the Astros. Are you really a fan of the Astros? No. I learned, I learned that lesson on baseball because I don't really care about baseball. I don't really care who wins, loses. It's exciting when the Astros are in the playoffs because, hey, I live in Houston, so, hey, go Astros, right? But, you know, out of the, the main three, four people on the team, I don't know the Astros. I don't know. I'm not a fan of the Astros. But if I was a fan, if I had true faith in the Astros, guess what I'd be? Decked out in Astros gear. I'd know the whole lineup. I'd know the coach. I'd know the owners. I'd know uh, what time they're playing today or tomorrow. I'd know uh, what series they're in. I would know all of these things because my works reflected my faith. And if your works are not reflecting your faith, you don't have faith. 
you, your faith is dead. Um, now, uh, that was a side note. Uh, let's get back on track. This whole idea of an active, gritty, in the real world kind of faith explains Jesus' in, uh, initial invitation to uh, his disciples. His uh, initial invitation was not believe me. It wasn't even believe in me. Those were not what he was trying to get them to do. His initial invitation was, follow me. Follow me. And Jesus never changed that. He never said, hey, just believe in me. He didn't, when the rich young ruler came up to him and said, hey, what can I do to get this everlasting life? This, and, you, and I can't even say the word, I'm not even going to try it. This everlasting life, um, what can I do? And Jesus looks at him, loves him, and says, man, go sell your stuff and follow me, man. Go get rid of everything and just come on the road with us. That was, that was his message, was, hey, do, you don't have to change necessarily who you are right now, but hey, follow me. That will change things. If you are following me, then it wasn't the act of, it wasn't like Jesus was like, hey, if you don't sell your things, you can't follow me. <laughs> you know, you either sell your things and follow me or don't sell your things and don't follow me. That's not what he was saying at that moment. What he saw was, he saw what was important to the man. He saw that this was not a genuine look for everlasting life. This was not a genuine look for the things of God, but that it was another material item for him to gain. And so Jesus challenged that. And he said, sell those material things and follow me because there's a better way of living. There's a better way of doing that. And he couldn't do it. Once again, man, I keep going off. I should, I should not. I should just be, read the notes, Jay. I have a lot of notes today, so I need to hurry up and, and power through them. But uh, his initial invitation was, follow me. He never changed it. Now, along what we have uh, said before, the church comes in and the church waters this down. Waters this idea down, says, hey, um, okay, so following is a little bit hard for people to do and to understand. So we're going to change the invitation of Jesus to believe in me. Now, the problem with that, and the reason why it's a watered-down version, is that um, the thing about believe in me is this. Believe in me is easy. Well, it's easier. I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's easier. It requires less of us. It's safer. It's less demanding of our time. It's less demanding of our efforts. Believe in me is an invitation that basically leaves us exactly where we are. No change is required, period. Now, while Jesus didn't call the young, rich young ruler, he didn't say, hey, you need to change in order to attain that. But what he was saying is you need to change in order to follow me from that mindset, in order to follow me. The change was the following him. The change was not selling the things. Okay? Um, belief by itself does not make a difference. Doing and following makes the difference in our life. Doing and following makes the difference in the world. We can, we can talk all day. 
We can worry all day about people in Africa starving. But if we are not sending funds, if we are not sending things to those people starving in Africa, what good is your worry? What good is your fret? It's not good. It doesn't make a difference. Doing and following makes differences. Belief alone, if it uh, stays in your head, never gets into the activity of your life. Actually create, it, it actually creates feeble, frail, and fragile faith. If, if your belief only stays up in your head, it only stays with you, your faith is very, very brittle. In fact, this might be the reason why some people lose their faith, is that they have it, they have all the knowledge, they have all the know-how, they know everything that Jesus did and said and was and is, they believed it, but they never did anything, they never followed Jesus, they never never, uh, looked to him for guidance in their life to follow this path. Instead, it was just a belief system. And because of that, they lose their faith. Because it was all in the head and no one ever taught them what to do with it, all right, because that's, that's an aspect to it that maybe you just don't know what to do with your faith. Maybe you just don't know what to do with your belief in Jesus. All right, you don't know how to follow him. Or they never tried to do anything with it at all. They came, they said the prayer, then that was it. Or they came, they said the prayer, and they said, what's next? And no one answered. Okay? Like Pastor Jared said in the first week of this series, faith is a muscle. Faith is a muscle that we have. You already have the muscle. It's already in you to have faith in things. Right? But if we do not use or exercise that muscle, that muscle is going to become weaker and weaker and weaker. At day by day by day. Yeah? And the other things that you have faith in are going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. Okay? Uh, you may know people, maybe it's you, that they lost their faith in God. They don't know how it happened. They don't know when it happened. They just realized one day, you know, I, I don't believe this stuff. I, I really don't believe this. The primary reason for that, in my opinion, is that if you don't exercise it, it goes away. If you don't focus on it, if you don't intentionally build that faith, it will fade. So Jesus invites us to follow. We're invited to wake up every single morning and ask this question, right? What would I do? What would I do? Not just what would I believe? Not just how would I live or how would I respond? How would I react? What would I attempt or how would I act if I was confident that God was always with me? What would I do? How would I act? How would I react to people? How would I respond to people? That would change everything about us if we held on to the fact that God is always with us, that he's always for us. Walking by faith isn't coming up with some ideas and imposing them on God. That's not faith. Walking by faith is stepping into the real world 
as if God is who Jesus revealed our Heavenly Father is, that God is love, that God is for us, that God is always faithful, that when we look at Jesus, that is God, that it's not some vengeful, wrathful, angry man on a throne demanding praise, but Jesus says, if you've looked upon me, you've looked upon the Father. And if we believe that, if we have faith in that, then as we live our life, we will see change. We will see change in our own lives. It will change the way that we act. It will change the way that we see our circumstances around us. So in the series, we've been looking at and hopefully answering these questions. What fuels or facilitates the development of active, enduring faith? And what are the essential ingredients that we need to have the same faith as those great men of faith that we know or great men of faith that we've read about? What are those ingredients? What elements, if we mix them together, would create in us the kind of faith that we've seen in other people? What ingredients do great men and women of faith that we know have that creates in them a faith that extends past difficult times? It extends past circumstances. While you watch those people, you go through hard times uh, with, uh, you watch those people going through hard times, but having faith guide them out of it. And they come out on the other end of it even more in love with God even more uh, supportive of God, supportive of the movement. Uh, what would I do? And, and maybe you guys see people living, you know, uh, they, they're down in, their, in, in a bad situation, but they still have incredible faith in God. And you ask yourself, what would I do if I was in that situation? Would I still respond like that? Would I still have faith that, you know, uh, one of the things that happened to me and Lindsay in 2019 was I got fired from a job, no severance, no unemployment. Um, it was very tactful the way they did it, where I went from having making $70,000 a year to making $0 a year. Well, what do you do about that, right? What do you do about that? And all we could do during that time was have faith that God was with us, that God was always with us. And you have to ask yourself, when you see people going through this, what would I do in that situation? This is, it's a self-examination. It's a self-report on yourself going, what is my reaction? And if I was living through this, would I come out the same way they did? Would I, would I still love God? Would I still chase after him? In this series, um, we base this stuff off of the teaching of Jesus, what he modeled, um, as well as conversations with men and women who have maintained their strong faith throughout their life. And we've come to this conclusion, that there are at least five things that God uh, uses to grow up and blow up our faith. There are five things. So let you know there's probably two more uh, things of this series unless they package it in one, in one uh, week, okay? There's five things that we go over. And two weeks ago, Pastor Jared touched on it. So I know that we're in part four, okay? The first one was an intro, and then we started the one, two, three, four, five, okay? Just a, 
you guys, you guys checking my math, okay? Um, two weeks ago, uh, we, Pastor Jared started with the first one, which was practical teaching. That number one thing in order to build your faith is practical teaching. Anytime someone tells their faith story, they always talk about the first time someone opened the scriptures for them in such a way that they knew what to do with what they believed for the first time right? For the first time, you'll hear the, the kind of phrase of, well, I went to this church, and for the first time, I understood what Jesus was saying. For the first time, I understood what I needed to do in order to tell people about Jesus, or in order to deal with my husband, who is, is just bugging me all the time. In order to deal with work situations, in order to do these things, in order to act in faith, and walk in faith, and walk in my belief in Christ, I found this person. I found this church. Um, sometimes churches, including the exchange, okay, I'm not excluding us, sometimes we get caught up in changing our thoughts and our theology, but we forget that faith begins to grow when we begin to act on it. Because you can build up all the knowledge, but if you don't act, that faith will not be built. Um, people will say in, in their faith stories this, I believed a lot of stuff, but it wasn't until I met this person or went to this church or small group or uh, for the first time, I knew what to do with what I believed. I finally discovered what faith looks like in the real world. Uh, practical teaching is one of the things that God uses to grow up our faith because until we have application, we don't know what to do. Uh, when we act, uh, I'm sorry, when our act of faith intersects with God's faithfulness on the back end of our situation, that's when faith grows. And what I mean by that is when we believe that God is going to provide for us and then God provides for us, what does that do to your faith? It builds it. It doesn't break it down. It doesn't shatter it. What it does is it builds up, taking that step, the act of faith that God is here with me. And then his always faith, we just sang about it, that God is always faithful, that he's always going to be there. And as you step out, he catches your foot and he keeps you moving. That is what builds faith. But if there is no act, there is nothing to intersect with God's faithfulness. If there is no step of faith, if there is no uh, walking in faith, you will never hit that faithfulness because it's not that the faithfulness is not there. The faithfulness is there. You are still being taken care of, but you just don't see it. You don't realize it. So therefore, why would you believe it? Why would you believe it? God's working behind the scenes all the time for you. But if you're not walking in faith, you will not see it. You will not know it. When we trust him and we experience his faithfulness, our faith becomes stronger. Last week, Pastor Kevin talked about the second thing, which is personal ministry. Um, I remember the first time, you know, you know, this is the statement that he was working on. Uh, the first time that you feel a nudge to service, but you feel inadequate. Um, but when you step out, you see God use you in a way that you never 
new could happen. And when you step out in that personal mansion, when you step out beyond those um, confidence issues in yourself and those inadequacies in yourself, um, God helped you and your faith grew and you, you grew up. So today we're talking about the third thing uh, that God uses to grow our faith, which is providential relationships. Every story of faith has this component of, and then I met this girl, or, and then I met this guy, or, and then we met this couple, right? When, we consider your, when you consider your story and when you consider those people in your story, it, it, it's as if God dropped them out of nowhere, right into it right at perfect timing. It's like God dropped them in your life at just the right moment in in your story that is pivotal. At the moment you don't uh, at the moment you don't know that, but as you look back, you can see the defining moments in all of your stories, that the defining turning points and everything in in, in movie uh, or in storytelling um, this is the moment, right? This is the this is probably the moment when um, you you have uh, you've had your hero. They've had their mentor. They're growing up, and then they have their first defeat, their first loss, and they're down on their depths. But then they rally, right? They rally up and they they build up. But they rally not by themselves. What do they do? They gather people around them. I don't know how many, this is, this is the model of the Marvel movies. I don't know if you've noticed this. There's a hero, they have a mentor, they get defeated, they rally, they win. Okay. That's the, that's the arc. Okay. It's called the hero's journey. It's in almost every movie that you watch. If you did, I'd probably just ruin movies for you, but there you go. That is, it's called the hero's journey, right? And in our life, this hero's journey literally plays out. It literally plays out. But the thing is, is that our life is not like a movie. It's not always going to work out by happenstance. Okay? It's not just going to be written for you to get out of it. What you have to do is you have to take steps of faith. And the way and part of getting yourself out of this is having these relationships around you. At the moment, uh, you don't know it, but you can look back and you can see that these relationships were divine intervention. Maybe uh, for some of you or some of you at home, um, that maybe it was a real intervention, that maybe you had some friends that were like, hey, you need to sit down, we need to talk to you. And you know what they're going to talk to you about. You don't want to talk to them about it but they do it anyway. And you're, you're hurt, you're angry, you're mad. But as you look back, you go, wow, those were the best friends that I could have ever had in that moment. Because even though I was angry, even though I was mad, even though I was hurt, I was hurting myself before that. And now look at me. Now look at my life. Now the other side of this, many of you, maybe all of you, have actually played this role in someone else's life, but never knew it. Maybe uh, you were just being nice. You were just being a good citizen, just doing what you knew to do. But when those people tell their stories, you are there because God brought you in, dropped you into their lives just at the right time. Every defining moment, good or bad, always involves other people. Have you noticed that? 
a bad decision usually happens because your idiot friend was like, hey, I bet you can't make that jump. And you said, bet. Yeah, watch this. You didn't make that jump, did you? No. Probably broke a couple ribs. Or something good happened, right? So maybe, maybe you were uh, needing, uh, you know, uh, needing a dollar as a kid, you needed a dollar to get like an ice cream. So I know that some of y'all, it was like 10 cents whenever y'all were growing up. But for me, it was like, t- it was like a dollar, maybe $2 inflation. Okay. Happens fast. Okay. I'm just gonna say it happens fast. Okay. We're paying $60 for a sheet of decking right now that last year was $15. So time is relative, but anyway, uh, so it, maybe you need that and, and a neighbor, parent gave you a dollar and you're like yes yes i can get that ninja turtle ice cream head right i don't know if y'all ever if y'all tried those recently they're not that great um but as a kid they were the business all right give me that give me the rocket pops all right so uh we shouldn't be surprised that the one of the things that god uses consistently to grow our faith is what relationships I mean, come on, uh, that's how Christianity began in the first place, right? Jesus comes down from God to do what? To show us that he wants a relationship, right? He comes down to do away with the stuff that was in between us to say, hey, this is gone, this is, this is out of here, now we have a relationship. Jesus has a relationship with 12, uh, you know, winos, and fishermen and tax collectors, and then they have relationships all through his ministry, and it grows and it grows and it grows, and then all of a sudden he dies and people leave, and it's just these 12 guys and a handful of other people, but then what happens? They start intersecting with other people. They start popping up in people's stories. They walk to the temple, and they see a cripple, and he says, hey, got any money? And you say, no, but I'll pray for you. And boom, this man is healed from a, a lifelong of crippledness. And he's up and jumping around. That was a divine intervention. That was a divine moment. That was a providential relationship that that man was not expecting that day, that, that uh, Peter and John were not expecting that day, but it happened. Um, so then people go out and they start connecting and boom, Christianity blows up. Those are the defining moments in each of their lives. In all of our lives, there are moments where these relationships are pivotal. There's a a small story in John that kind of talks about this. And, um, sometimes people pass it over. I've heard people talk on it. Um, you know, uh, it's, it doesn't have to do with doubting Thomas, but I always say that doubting Thomas has a bad rap, right? He was just a dude, you know, he was a logical guy. Uh, a guy died two days ago. I watched him die. You know, I saw him buried, and you're saying that he's alive. You guys are crazy, right? He's a logical guy. Why does he get the tag doubting Thomas, right? He, you know, level-headed Thomas is what I call him, right? And so then we call him. Most people just kind of pass over it really quickly, but it has to do with um, two friends, Philip and Nathaniel. 
And it happens in John 1. Uh, uh, so I'll tell you the story, and then we'll look at the verse. He's, uh, so Jesus is, is out and about, and he's already recruited um, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And um, then he finds this young guy named Philip. And he says, Philip, I like you, dude. Come follow me. And Philip, instead of going, okay, and following, he does something that maybe we wouldn't have done, or maybe we would have done. Um, but he says, he says, okay, um, wait here one moment. And he just like takes off running, right? He's like, Jesus is like, come follow me. He's like, okay. You know, like just wait here. Takes off. He books it. He runs all the way to his friend's house, Nathaniel. And he kicks in the door and he's like, Nathaniel, dude, I just, I met the Messiah. I met the Messiah. He's here right now. And Nathaniel's like, <laughs> yeah, you met the Messiah, Philip. Um, wasn't it just the other day I had to go get you some clean pair of pants, right? You, yeah, you met the Messiah, right? So the Messiah that we've been waiting for for several hundred years, right? Um, you have found him all of a sudden. And Phil's like, yes, okay, yes, I, I, found, I found him, right? And um, you're not going to believe this, but he's here now. Um, and he's like, okay, okay, well, who's this Messiah, right? And Phil's like, okay, his, his name is Jesus you know, Jesus you know, of Nazareth, the guy in Nazareth, he's a carpenter for a little bit, Jesus of Nazareth, that guy. And Philip's like, <laughs> you talking about Nazareth? Get out of here, man. Talking about practice? Come on. This is a game. This isn't everything. Nothing good ever comes out of Did you see what we did to him last game? We just trounced him. You know, the, the you know, Kick the sheep game. I don't know what they did back there. I don't know the games. Spin the wheel. I don't know what they were doing. But, man, there's nothing good can come from Nazareth. All right? And so we see it here. John 1, 4, uh, 46 in the NIV. It says this, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? So now Nathaniel is just trashing Jesus' hometown, right? He's just trashing them. And... Uh, you know, so he's just ragging on me. And Philip, if he'd been some of us, he may have gone, all right, see ya. I'm going to go get my name in the Bible, and your name will be nowhere, right? Peace. You should have invested in Bitcoin, and you should have followed Jesus, right? So you have this moment, right, where where Philip, he has this decision to make, and Instead of arguing, instead of just walking away, he says, he says, come and see. He leaves the invitation open. He leaves it open so that Nathaniel can have this chance of encountering Jesus. He's saying, I can't answer your questions. I don't know where the Messiah is supposed to come from. You know, I don't know all about this beef between you and Nazareth all of a sudden that came out of nowhere, Right? Just come and see. Just come and see. And so Nathaniel goes and he meets Jesus and he recognizes who Jesus is. And you got to think that Philip probably thanked uh, 
Nathaniel, uh, I'm sorry, Nathaniel probably thanked Philip for the rest of his life because he had a ringside seat to the amazing things that God was doing in this world. Can you imagine every time something amazing happened, Nathaniel leans over to Philip and's like, dude, thank you so much for inviting me to this. Thank you so sorry. I am so sorry I made you feel dumb. And here's that extra pair of pants I told you I'd bring you also. Uh, no, he's, he's so grateful for the rest of his life to his friend who just made a simple invitation to him, who just said, man, just come and see for yourself. You don't have to make up your mind right now. You don't even, I don't even have to, whatever way you choose, just come and see. Just come and experience it. Um, so part of, part of my story, um, in, in my faith story, is that uh, most, most of y'all probably don't know it, um, some of the band members and some of our church staff, uh, they've heard this story before, uh, but I, I don't really tell it a whole lot. But when I was in high school, well, I was after high school, uh, I went to college, Bible school, went there for a year, uh, got my heart broken by a girl, uh, went back home, couldn't, didn't have the money to go back uh, to see my friends. That shattered my faith, that shattered everything because I was like, that was my trajectory, and now that trajectory is gone. I was 19. I was dumb. I thought that my world was over and that I was too old to do anything, right? Dumb 19-year-old, um, right? Like every other 19-year-old that something bad happens to. But, the, you know, I felt like my world was over, so I just kind of gave up. Just kind of gave up on things. Um, I was hanging out with some of my old friends. I started drug running from Houston to Victoria, and um, that, you know, my every week, every so often, and um, that, you know, my parents were still pastors, my, my parents were all of that, and one, one day, there's this thing in the Assemblies of God, uh, the de- denomination Assemblies of God, uh, there's a thing called General Council, and it's where a section of uh, the denomination, they all have this conference that all the pastors come and they vote on things and they um, just kind of get preaching. They go over all kinds of stuff. I, I don't really know because I never wanted to go to general council and be a part of it, but they, they would do that. So my parents went to general council. They're sitting at Denny's. Uh, I guess a bunch of them went to Denny's afterwards. And they're sitting with um, uh, a couple friend, uh, a, a couple that is their friends from college. And they're sitting there talking, and guess who walks up to the table? Uh, one, Pastor Jared, right? He walks up to the table, and he starts talking to the people that they're eating with. And he's like, hey, I heard that you had a, a daughter that's in her 20s. Um, we have this program called Master's Commission. Was I don't know if you've heard about us, blah, 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 tells, tells them all this stuff. And my parents, they are sitting there listening to all this, and they're like, because um, Bethany, uh, their the couple's daughter, she was much. She's probably twenty five, twenty six. She's much uh, a bit more older than I am. Um, but so she she was already kind of on her career path, and they were like, "Well, she's already, she's already kind of doing this." Uh, but my parents said, um, "We may be interested in that. Tell us more about it." You know. And so they got us hooked up. Um, I was 
still uh, running drugs and um, smoking drugs and doing drugs and and all that stuff all the way up till probably like a week before uh, Master's Commission started. And that week before, I wasn't even going to go. I, I had made up in my mind that I wasn't going to go. And um, my friend, who I did that drug stuff with, he, uh, he, I got kicked out of my house that night, and I was over at his house. He was selling his house, and um, this was the last night that we were going to be in it. He was closing the next day. They had already all their stuff moved out. And so I was over there, and he was like, dude, what are you going to do tomorrow? Because I mean, he was moving to Austin. And I was like, man, I have no idea. I'll probably just sneak back into my parents' house. And he was like, okay. And he was like, um, what are you going to do after that? And I was like, I don't know, man. Probably just get, like, an apartment down here and work some dumb job. And uh, he was like, well, because I had told him about the Master's Commission stuff. And he goes, well, what about Master's Commission? And I was like, I don't know, man. And then he went on and he told me the story about how he was driving back to Austin one day and he saw a sign that said, need prayer, uh, need prayer, stop. What was it? Um, need Jesus, stop and pray. Need Jesus, stop and pray. And he's like, that's a weird sign. And so he kept driving. There was a tent with people praying for people. And he was like, that's weird. So he kept driving. And then another sign happened and it said, need Jesus, stop and pray. And another tent came, and he, he was like, oh, wow. And he felt convicted, and he was like, man, I'm, you know, if I see one more, I'll stop and I'll pray. I'll, 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 I'll talk to you, God. I'll, I'll give my life to you, God. Well, another sign came, and another tent came. And he said, in that moment, he thought, what, what is everybody else is going to think about me? He puts his foot down, uh, all the way down, and takes off, just burns off. So he tells me his story, and he said this. He said, Jonathan, I need, I need you to do Master's Commission because I need to see God work in your life before I allow him to work in my life. And that's what, that was what kicked me to Master's Commission. And, and in that moment, we were still smoking weed, and I had my pipe in my hand, and I said, uh, and he, I, what, what did I say? So it came along the lines of, yeah, I guess I'll just keep this for... Um, uh, memory's sake or something like that. And he looked at it, he's like, well, if if you were really going to stop smoking weed, you break your pipe. And I was like, that's a good idea. And I just like threw it on the ground. And he was like, not in the house. And I was like, sorry. Anyway, uh, so that happened in my life. And time and time again in Master's Commission, there were moments that God kept filling in people. God kept filling in people. And, and I've told my friend this, that if... Um, that if it wasn't for him, my life would be completely different. And it was someone who was unexpected. This was an unexpected moment. This was an unexpected thing. Um, I, you know, I like to think that those signs and tents were for him. Um, but who knows? Maybe they were for me. And, and God needs them. And because of that, I am here now with you. Because of that, I now have my wife. Because of you, uh, because of that, there are so many things that have happened in my life, hinging on that moment in time. And um, 
You know, I've seen, uh, I've seen my friends that God has placed in my life go through some of the hardest times in their life. I've seen divorces. I've seen uh, adultery. I've seen um, drug abuse, alcohol abuse. I've seen these things in my friends' lives. But I've also seen them pull out of it with an amazing faith, to pull through these things with an unwavering faith in God. Um, my faith is bigger, richer, more gritty, and real-worldly watching them maintain their faith in, during their hard times. That maybe I, I, wasn't, I wasn't on shaky faith, but I'm seeing them go through these things that I've never gone through myself and come out better and come out closer to God and closer to the people around them. And it just builds my faith even more. And I didn't even do anything. All I was doing was watching them. That's the power of providential relationship. That's the power. We couldn't have chosen that. We don't choose providential relationships. In fact, we can't. That would make them not providential, right? They, they would just be relationships at that point. But uh, if you create it, it wouldn't be there. Here's the thing, though. We should all and we can all be proactive in getting into relationships with people whose faith, uh, whose faith uh, informs their decisions and whose faith informs their responses to difficulties in life. This is the part we can do. We can get around those people. We can surround ourselves with people who are like that. Being in proximity is one of the things we can do to ensure that our faith grows because of who we're doing life with, just by being in proximity of those people. Now, the author of Hebrews, uh, they weigh in. I say they because we're not really sure who wrote Hebrews, um, some people think it was Paul. Some people think it might have been uh, a woman in the church. Um, but no one really knows. And so the author of Hebrews weighs in on this. And uh, in one section, uh, the author is already saying uh, he's telling the, or they are telling the people that they're writing to, these people are Jewish uh, believers. Uh, majority b- Jewish believers are probably some Gentiles who also heard this sermon or heard read this letter. And um, but it's mainly Jewish uh, Jewish believers, and the Jewish believers during this time, during the first century, were being prosecuted on two fronts. There was the Jewish prosecution that started before Rome uh, was really killing Christians, but um, Jewish prosecution where that's where Paul comes out of. That Paul was leading the charge. That Paul was going in and storming and killing uh, uh, Christians and. Uh, all of that. Well, then there was this time before 70 AD, before the destruction of Jerusalem, that Rome also started picking on the Christians. So now you've got Romans hating on the Christians, you got Jews hating on the Christians, and, and you have these new believers questioning if they should still believe in Jesus. And so Hebrews, in this one section, he is, they are saying to the people, do not give up. Do not give up on, on your belief in Jesus. These people believed in God, but they were new to the faith. So, he, so they kept encouraging him, 
Don't give up. And this is where we find it in Hebrews 10, 23, says this. Let us hold unswervingly, right? Unswervingly, because we've, we've all held swervingly. We've all driven swervingly. We've all had faith that swerves, right? But he's saying, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. For the person who promised us, he is faithful. It does not matter necessarily about our faith, but we need to hold on to our faith. We need to hold on to the belief in God because the truth with us. He's saying you can't let is always faithful. He's always with us. He's saying you can't let go of your faith in God. If you, if you do, where are you going to place your hope? Where are you going to put it? Are you going to put it in money? Because money is fleeting. Are you going to put it in things? Things wear down. Are you going to put it in people? People break your heart. People fail you. But there's one person who never fails. There's one being who is always, always faithful. This, um, this was still the first century, right? Um, and, and he's saying, you can't let go of your faith in God. If you do, where are you going to place your hope? Because God has done something here among us. And in the first century, there was still eyewitnesses of the resurrection walking around. There was still eyewitnesses talking to people. So this wasn't some far-off 2,000 years ago event. These people are living through the moments after Jesus has lived, and they are still questioning their faith. And, and the writer is saying, why? Don't. Don't question your faith. We've seen it. We've been there. We've gone through these things. But they were going through a tough time. And so he goes on in, in verse 24. And he says this. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. He's saying if your faith is going to remain rock solid, you're going to need some other people. Some other people are going, and some other people are going to need you. He wants them to give uh, some thought on how they can spur each other on, how they can get in each other's faces, but not just for faith's sake, not just for faith's sake, but in order for them to love and good de- do good deeds, to, to focus their minds not just on their beliefs, because sometimes the, the circumstances around us are challenging those beliefs. So what do we need to do? We need to go do what our beliefs call us to do, which is what? To do love and to do good deeds, right? To love people, to care for people. Um, he wants to give them thought. He wants to give them some thought on how to spur on each other's faith. But it's not just the faith; it's love and good deeds. The writer knows that if the help, if the help, if they help each other uh, live out their faith in the real world, their faith will intersect with his faithfulness, and their faith will become stronger. It's the same thing that I've been saying this whole time. He is just trying to get them to step out, get out of your head. Get out of your mind and get into the world. 
get into doing things. He says, don't just think it or say it, but do it. Get in each other's faces. Make sure you're still getting together. I want you to hang on to faith in such a way that it shows up in the real world. If you notice, I switched to my spirals because uh, I uh, didn't finish typing out all my notes. I didn't realize how much notes I had, how many notes I had. And I tried to do a little trick. It just my computer was not working on me. Um, he goes on to in the next verse, and he says this in Hebrews 24 through 25, on towards love and good deeds. Consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching, right? What, he, what he's saying here is, uh, is that we don't give up on each other. Instead, we keep meeting with each other. One of the hardest things that has come out of COVID is that we have been so, and, and it's, hard to, it's hard to say this without ha- sounding harsh. So I'm going to sound harsh for a little bit. But just know that my heart is not harsh on it. But we have become selfish in COVID. We have become caught up in this mind that um, our health is more important than other people's mental health, spiritual health, physical health. And now this can be played both sides. Politically, it can be played both sides. This is not a political statement in any way, shape, or form. But the question needs to be asked, what is being done for mental health? What is being done for spiritual health? Are you, because you are secluding other people away from you, are you also giving up certain things, interactions with other people that is harming you, that is actually not good for you? And there are ways to be healthy and to stay at a distance but still interact with people, but still be a part of what's going on. Um, the reason why we have online is so that people can watch and can be a part of us if you can't be here, but we want you here. And the reason is not because we need bodies. The reason is not because we want to feel good about our church being packed. No, the reason is, is because we need providential relationships. We need to surround ourselves with people who are like-minded. We don't need to stay secluded. We don't need to be cut off from the world. And if, if you do need that for your health, please, please reach out to people. Please tell people, hey, I cannot leave my house, but I want a relationship. But I need a relationship. I need you to check in on me. I need you to call me. I need you to email me. Whatever it is, because your spiritual state and your mental state is just as important as your physical state. Um, these things, they, they all intertwine. You know, there's, there's a reason why um, husbands and wives die of heartbreak after their loved one dies. Because it's all connected. Our, our emotions, our, our physique, our, our spiritual mindset, our energy, our everything is connected in that. So um, this is what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say. Do not give up 
on meeting together. Do not give up on grouping together. He's not talking about necessarily church. He's not talking about the church service. He's just saying, be in each other's lives. Be there. Be a community because you never know what's happening in other people's lives. You never know the things that they're going through. You never know the valleys that they are stuck in, that you can help, that you can be a voice on, that you, that, that maybe you, you feel the panic and you feel scared to leave your house, but there are people who need you. There are people who, who need your voice, and please don't let it be locked up. Please don't be scared to talk to people and to show people love instead of hate. Love instead of um, uh, not a willing, a willing, a willingness to not understand, but instead to accept, instead to love. Uh, when it comes to our faith, the grit and the reality of our faith. Uh, when it comes to recognizing God's faithfulness to us, and when it comes to experiencing God's faithfulness, proximity matters. Proximity matters. Now, this is my observation. This may be your story. Maybe what I'm about to say is the reason why you uh, lost your faith or are losing your faith right now. But here it is. People drift away from their community of faith before they drift away from their faith in God. They drift away from their community, and that's what leads to brittle faith. Okay? People don't drift away because they read uh, Dawkins or said something. They, they don't drift away just because a college professor said something and it shattered their faith. Now, these things happen, there are, there are things that happen, and there, are an, there is an intellectual side of faith, and that's what we discuss here almost on a daily, the, the intellectual side of our theology and our belief in God. But um, it's not like, boom, faith is gone because you read a book. It's not, boom, faith is gone because a professor said something or a friend said something or someone on Facebook posted something. That is not the catalyst. That may, be the in, that may be the tipping point, but that is not the catalyst that is happening. Um, but in terms of actual experience, people drift away from their community of faith before they drift away from the faith. A better way of saying it is people lose faith when they lose contact with people of faith. If you don't have people of faith in your life, that you spend time with. You don't even have to be talking about God, but you just spend time with them. Your faith will start to be challenged. Your ideas of God, your, your beliefs in God will start to be challenged just by not having believers in proximity around you. Um, uh, um, let's flip, flip the spiral. Um, proximity is one of the things that bolsters our faith because we are able to see God work in other people's lives. We realize we're not the only one. We aren't on an island. All this, all, all this points to why relationships are critical to growing, enduring faith. When we see God's faithfulness in somebody else's life, it's easier for us to trust him with ours. When we see God time and time again 
providing, time and time again protecting, time and time again showing up when they need him most. And when we see that in other people's lives, just by proximity, our faith is built. Um, there is something we can do to facilitate this faith catalyst. There is a role for us to play, and that role is simply this. We got to stay connected. We have to stay connected. Um, we have lost several families since COVID, not because of what we are teaching, not because of um, the things that we, uh, that, you know, our music or anything like that, or, or the mood lighting or whatever it is. Um, we, we've lost them because we weren't fast enough to get community stuff going. And so some people went back to like their family's church so that they could have that connection. They could have that family connection. Well, we should have that connection here. Again, uh, some of y'all were here before COVID, and you remember the connections, the community that we had here. And then it was shattered. It It was taken from us for a time. But now is the time for us to get that back. Now is the time for us to move forward back into proximity with each other, back into building each other up, back into taking care of each other. Stay connected to a community of faith grows, uh, staying connected to a community of faith grows, builds, and sustains our faith. And here's the amazing thing. It also positions us to play a role in people's lives. We can't organize. It positions us to be able to speak into people's lives. We can't organize a providential relationship, but we can increase the potential of a providential relationship by staying in proximity to like-minded or higher-minded people. Okay? I don't know how many times uh, I tell, uh, I, I interact with a lot of people every day, and uh, there are some people that I interact with every day. And I don't know how many times I have told this to some of our coworkers. You have to be higher-minded. You have to be, you cannot be drugged down by these things. You cannot be drugged down by these, these rejections, by um, these, this other coworker that may have made a, a joke about you. You can't be bogged down by, bogged down by those things because you need to be higher-minded. This is why we've done our fall festivals in the past. This is why we gave out free hugs at the, uh, the Pride Parade. These are the reasons. It's not to build our church it's to build the kingdom. It's to build up people. It's, it's not a money grab. It, none of us get paid. None of us at the church get paid. The, all of our money goes to funding an area where we can come and be a community. It, it, all of our funding goes into going out and doing events. Um, and there are events that are going to be coming, uh, like our men's ministry, like a women's uh, book reading, um, these things, like a fall festival, like a missions trip. These are things that we are working on to roll out so that you can have community, that you can have things. Uh, we, can't, we can't organize uh, that relationship, but we can increase the potential. This is why we've done those things. This is why we've done the fall festivals and everything. Um, 20 years from now, you are not going to remember what I'm talking about today. 
You may remember the idea, but you're not going to remember my Bitcoin joke. Now, are you? You may use that later on in life, but you're not going to remember it's from me. Later on, 20 years from now, content is not going to matter more than relationship. You're going to remember the relationships you've had 20 years from now. You're not always going to remember the conversations that you had. Um, but you will remember those things. You will remember hugging people at the Pride Parade. You will remember the family that wasn't going to have Christmas one year, and we were able to provide them presents, more presents than any of us probably got that year uh, for Christmas. We did that. I don't know if y'all remember that. We did that twice. Um, Some of y'all weren't here, but we did that twice for a family. They don't remember probably the church name. They probably don't remember anybody involved, but they remember that somebody uh, uh, of faith cared for them for their Christmas and was there for them. Um, you, You won't remember... Uh, you won't remember necessarily the things that we we uh, teach about or the series. How many uh, you know? How many episodes of our series that we're going on? Right? Uh, you won't remember those things, but you'll remember holding an orphan in Haiti. You'll remember looking into their eyes and seeing the wonder of seeing a white person, right? Of of seeing a person of different colored skin that has different hair, you see the wonder in their eyes. And those are the things that you remember. You may not remember who went with you on that trip, but you remember those moments, those moments of the providential relationships. Um, You'll remember being able to provide a meal to a homeless person in the city. You'll remember those things. Oh, man, I'm tearing up now. I can't read uh, we took over, uh, when me and Lindsay took over the youth, we changed uh, the way that we did youth completely. And um, we were meeting here, they were doing games and stuff, and then when we took over, it was really hard to get them to corral down because we hadn't been doing that um, as a church in a while. So it was hard to kind of get them to focus. So what we did is we moved it completely to our house for a time. And um, all... Almost all of 2020 and about half of 2019, we were meeting in our, our I don't know if we took over in 19, but when we first started taking over, we uh, were meeting in our house. And the reason why we did that was not because uh, we were being lazy and didn't want to come to the church. The main reason why we changed that was so that um, we could have a more uh, intimate talk with them, that there's not a whole lot of space for them to run off to and get away from us, but that they're stuck in this living room with us, that they are they can't go. They can go to the bathroom maybe, but eventually I'm going to come banging on the door and being like, hey, do you need some help? Right? Do you need some X-Lax or something? I don't know. Um, but obviously they're on their phone. Anyway, um, but so uh, the main reason why uh, was because Lindsay and I know that the relationship is as, uh, as much as or more important than the content. That the relationship is what matters to the, the teenagers. They could care less what you're saying to them. But if you care about them, if you spend time with them, if you, if you go to movies with them, if you enjoy their hobbies with them, now they care what you think. Now they care what, you, what advice you're getting. I'm, I'm trying to move fast, guys. I'm, I know it's, it's a lot, okay? I'm trying. Um, but they will remember that relationship over the content. We have seen change in them. 
uh, when we did, we saw change in them when we did that. And um, we, you know, where was I? We wanted them to feel comfortable around us so that we could show them what faith looks like outside of the church building. That what faith looks like in a healthy marriage. What, what, what does that interaction look like? Um, let me, uh, I am going to say this to the parents. Um, and I, this is going to be really on, online or in-house. In and I, this is going to be this is going to be really awkward because only one family uh, of my youth is in this service right now. I am not talking to y'all, okay? Um, but you may you may be able to get something from this. Um, but I am not a father. I'm pre, uh, prefacing this statement. I am not a father, um, but I have been around uh, teenagers and youth ministry for over 10 years now. And I've been active in it, not just around it, but actively uh, mentoring and speaking into teenagers' lives. And as parents, uh, you are doing yourself a disfavor if you do not have your kids at church with you. And this is why. Um, this isn't a judgmental thing. It's not a, I'm, I'm looking at you guys and you don't have your kids. That's not it. It's not because we want more bodies here, like I was saying earlier. It's just that your kid's faith is contingent upon your faith to some extent. But also, it is contingent on the faithful adults that you have around them. If you have more secular parents around your kids, then you have faithful, uh, faithful, you know, like, uh, like our title says, uh, men of faith, women of faith around your kids, you are doing yourself a disfavor because the more influence that you can get around them, the more um, relationship they will have with God, the more relationship they will have with you because you will have people around them who support you and support your way of life. Proximity matters. I encourage you to invite people, right? When you're in here, and it does make us feel good when y'all spread out a little bit because it makes it feel full a little bit. But um, I challenge you guys to start sitting with each other during service. Start sitting closer together. Start start being, and whenever y'all come in, pull up alongside each other because we can easily come into church and completely miss each other. We Even this size group, we can come into church, we can have church, and then we can leave church and never talk to each other. And, and one simple way of changing in proximity of each other. Uh, that, might be, uh, um, that might be potentially life-saving invitation. Uh, what if that simple invitation is the faith catalyst to someone who comes to church but still feels alone. Maybe there's someone that comes in the church and they just come in week after week and they still feel alone. But you saying, hey, come sit with us. Or, hey, do you mind if I sit with you? That is the thing. You didn't do anything else but sit with them. But that was the thing that God used to change their world. Don't forget to invite people to church. I know, I know. There's a good portion of of. Um, Americans who are scared to get within six feet, 12 feet, 20 feet of each other. Invite them anyway. <laughs> you may, they, they may not like it, 
But a simple invitation, a simple invite may be the catalyst that God needs. When making that awkward invitation and they eventually show up, then one uh, show up one day, you are watching uh, you're watching them come in, they enjoy it, then for dedication. You, then one day you're watching them bring in their kids for dedication. You're seeing these things. What do you think will happen to your faith if that happens? Will it die? No. It will only build. And it's because you made maybe an awkward invitation and you didn't like it and you felt your skin crawling the whole time while you were talking to him and you were just talking really fast. You're like, yeah, uh, the exchange, I don't even remember what time it was. It starts, it's like 9 o'clock, no, uh, 10 o'clock. I mean, we show up at like 10, 15, 10, 20, 10, 30. You can probably show up at like 10, 45. It's cool. Um, but it, it's, it may, may feel awkward. It may feel awkward, but that simple invite is all they need. Right, A single invitation could position you as a catalyst in someone's faith story. It could be the first step in somebody's rediscovering of God. Don't forget to invite. Uh, that's the power of uh, providential relationships. You never know what hangs in the balance of our, uh, of our courage to say something or to invite somebody. I look at this, guys. I'm on the last page. I'll kind of power through. Uh, Elaine, your friends determine. Um, you've probably heard the term. Your friends determine the direction and quality of your life. I've said this to youth many times. You probably heard it when you were a teenager plenty of times. Uh, your parents probably told it to you several times. My parents told it to me several times. Didn't listen to them, obviously. Um, I got long hair and tattoos. So, um, But the, your friends determine the, the direction and quality of life. This doesn't just apply to 14-year-olds. This also applies to 40-year-olds. Who you surround yourself with dictates your future and quality in your life. The people who you choose to do life with influence and impact the strength, endurance, and depth of your faith. When we see God's faithfulness in someone else's life, it's easier to trust him with ours. Here's my last challenge for y'all. If during this season, uh, for whatever reason, intentionally or unintentionally, you've begun or you've gotten unplugged from a faith community uh, with people you believe uh, who believe like you do and value God and value relationship, then you need to get reconnected. You need to be reconnected with that community. Even if it's a little awkward, even if it's, you know, maybe you burnt down a bunch of bridges whenever you left that community, but you feel that stir, that, that friendship that you had, um, you need to get reconnected for the sake of your faith. If you're a parent, for the sake of your kids' faith, because they're watching you. Everything that you do. And if you know someone who needs to get connected, you should make that call. You should send that email. Because in, it may be you who they're talking about in their faith story. It may be you because you sent a simple email and they started going back to their old church. Or it may be you that, that sent an email and it pulled them out of almost committing suicide. You know, I had a friend who opened up to us um, a while back 
and he, he uh, is bi- semi-bipolar and um, but he just gets he gets very anxious he gets caught up in his in his mind and he feels um, one day he acts uh, in life um, and um, one day he he called he texted us and he said I can't do this anymore um, it kind of came out of the blue um, but what he was talking about is that he can't he can't keep living anymore and uh, so we drove down I drove down to Victoria that night um, I got all of our friends we started hanging out and we didn't even talk about it all we did was just hang out with him all we did was be with him during that time and make jokes and have fun and 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 encourage him and build him up we never even touched the subject of why we were there but we all knew why we were there he knew why we we would just be there in his time of need. Maybe there's someone that you know right now that needs that. Maybe there's someone that you know right now that needs a simple, hey, uh, you should come to church with me. Hey, have a good day. Hey, God loves you. You know, uh, I tell, I know that you, I'm down in Victoria. I said, hey, I know that you don't believe this, but I do. I know that you I know that you currently don't believe that God loves you, but I do believe that. And and this is why. And I tell them all the time that God loves them, that I love them. You have no idea what that simple invitation invitation will do. But here's what happens. If you do make that simple invitation, when they tell their faith story, they're gonna be talking about you. So We're going to continue on next week with the next faith catalyst that God uses to build up your faith. Um, But I just want y'all to know that we love you. We wouldn't do this. Trust me. We wouldn't do this if we didn't love you. Um, And we are, we're right now, uh, I mentioned it earlier, right now we are rebuilding our community uh, events. We're rebuilding our community community outreach. Um, next week, we will have a sign-up sheet um, that if you're interested in getting involved more at the church, you're interested in um, maybe helping us plan events or just just helping us do events. Maybe you're saying, well, I don't really want to be a planner, but I have hands, I have feet, I can show up and I can do stuff. Uh, we're going to have a sign-up out there for you guys, uh, and we're going to have a meeting here pretty soon about getting, building back up our community events because we need more than ever in our, in our country, uh, a unity and we need a community. We need, um, and, and not necessarily like-minded community, but just community, just a faith fueled, faith driven community here in Atascacita, here in Humble. And that's why we're here. We know that uh, our message is different from some people. And sometimes uh, during, during all, during the quarantine and stuff, sometimes that's the only thing that kept us going. We asked ourselves, well, should we just close down the church uh, permanently? Should we just keep it down and just do online stuff all the time? And, um, Several of y'all voiced the need 
to come back in. Several of y'all voiced the need to come back into the community. So we did open the door. God is doing here. But come back. We want people to be a part of what God is doing here. But what what God is doing here takes people, takes providential relationships. And we need you. We need you at home. We need you uh, to be a part of what we are doing. And so that's why uh, we'll have that sign up next week. If you're interested, please put your name down, your phone number down, and I'll be reaching out to you. Um, Something else that uh, always helps is uh, in your giving. And um, we do not teach that God is a uh, money-hungry God, that he demands uh, a portion of your money. Uh, what we teach is generous giving, is is that, again, providential relationship is giving so that more opportunities can be made uh, for, uh, for people. And like I said earlier, none of that money goes back into any of our pockets. It literally goes back out into the community or it goes back into this building. Um, we just had work done. Y'all probably never even noticed it, but we had some ceilings torn down. We had some walls torn down because during the freeze, we had a water bust and it damaged a lot of us to be able to take care of those things. I was able to provide that uh, money for us to be able to take care of those things. And it takes people giving. It takes people not, not just giving of their money, but giving of their time, of giving of their, uh, their lives to build this community, to build up these providential faith fueling relationships and community that we have. So please, if you have been considering or wanted to get involved, please next week, put your name down because we need you. We want you. We love you. Um, that's it. That's all I had for today. So I'm going to pray and let's dismiss. Uh, if you do, let's go ahead and put up the, the slide for giving TJ. If you uh, do, um, if you're at home and you're watching and you want to give, uh, please look at this slide right here. Uh, it'll tell you uh, how to give through text to give. Um, if you're here in the service on your way out, we have uh, envelopes and boxes that you can put in or you can text to give and we can do that. But let me pray and we'll go ahead and dismiss. Father God, I thank you. Thank you. Thank you for everything that you've done for us, God. And I pray right now that you give us those opportunities to be a catalyst for people's faith, that we surround ourselves with with, um, people that we can pour into, people that we can talk uh, about you to God and that they can see how our faith is connected, how our faith pulls us out of these things stronger and more and closer to you, God. And that while they see us, maybe they don't even believe in you, never believed in you. Maybe they even hate you, God, but they see us going through that and they see our love for you grow, God. And I pray that that softens their hearts. I pray that that softens their minds to you, God, and that they start wondering and they start asking and that our the, the way that we live our lives can be a beacon into other people's lives for faith. In Jesus' name.